Welcome to the Educator Ignited Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Palmas, a wife, mom, educator, and learner addict. I am obsessed with all things improving education, and this podcast is all about proving what's possible in education. If you are hungry to learn about and be inspired by ways in which educators are doing things out of the box, altering the status quo, then you are tuning into the right podcast. We talk to guests who are trailblazers on a transformative journey to change the educational system, extending their impact beyond the boundaries of the classroom. Educators Ignited embodies our shared commitment to igniting a fire within each and every educator, empowering our education community to become catalysts for change. Through the Educators Ignited podcast, we will continue to bring you inspiring stories, thought-provoking discussions, and practical strategies to empower educators worldwide Together, we will light the way for a new era of education where students thrive and teachers are catalysts for innovation. Welcome back to the Educators Ignited podcast. I know it's been a while since I've had a guest, and for many of you, it's because I've been really trying to prioritize my weekends with my boys and Aaron. But this guest, I am so excited about. We've been talking about this for months now, and her name is Loretta Sanchez. What's so cool about this is our parents, our cousins, they are really close and we ran into each other at a family reunion a couple months ago, got to talking about education. I know Loretta has had a really amazing experience in her 10 years of being an educator. And so as we got to talking and she was sharing what she's doing, I'm like, you have to come on this podcast because you have so much insight. You have just a plethora of wisdom that I know needed to be shared with our amazing Educators Ignited community. So that is Loretta. Of course, I'm going to let Loretta take it away, introduce herself. But by starting with what has been your journey in education? Yeah. First, thank you so much for having me, Kelly. I love talking about education. I think teachers in general, it's their favorite topic. And if you ever uh, get uh, any spare time with a teacher, they always just want to talk about their classroom and their experiences with teaching. And for me, it's been a really Uh, up and down journey so far, just as I think that most of life just has that roller coaster effect. And it started on a very awesome note whenever I was a student teacher. Uh, I actually was able to student teach for an entire year and a half, which was a really cool program that I really believe contributed to a lot of my passion in education just because of how much time I was in the classroom prior to teaching. And then I never thought I would end up in a middle school classroom. I always thought it was going to be elementary through and through, but the bulk of my career was middle school language arts. And I loved it for the longest time. Middle school is the perfect happy medium because the kids are still kids on certain days. And then the next day they come in and it's like, you are having a conversation with an adult. And so you got, you get the best of both worlds. But recently I transitioned back to elementary as a reading interventionist. And so now I am really fortunate because my favorite parts about middle school, I get to experience at the elementary level where I'm rotating kids out of my classroom and into my classroom. And I get to work with a variety of different ages. And it's almost like having class periods, but I get the innocence of that age group of kindergarten through fifth grade. And 
just being able to help a child learn how to read before third grade is, it's a very fulfilling feeling because you know, if a kid can learn how to read before third grade, that they're more likely to graduate high school. And there's all of these wonderful statistics that come with that. And so that has been a huge part of my journey so far. And then of course, being able to work for the New Mexico Education Department as an independent contractor which I actually started as a literacy coach in a full-time role because uh, there was a certain point in my career where I felt that teacher burnout where I wanted to leave the classroom. And then uh, as I started working more in the government part of education and trying to see through those reading initiatives, uh, it was interesting because I attended all of this amazing professional development that made me want to go back to the classroom because I was like, I have to try that with kids. Mm -hmm. And so then I transitioned back into the class as the reading interventionist, but I was still able to stay on as an independent literacy specialist contractor. And so I feel like I have been able to get the best of both worlds there. So it's been a good up and down experience, I think. So much of that resonates with me. I so wanted to be an elementary school teacher. I started out as middle school, struggled because of circumstances, went to elementary, struggled, loved it. But then I found my way back to middle school and it was just such a sweet spot. And even though I work in a K-12 school now and I work across all three buildings, I just have so much love and passion for middle schoolers, but to all the things that you are saying, the power of being able to teach that reading. And I really want to also underscore my appreciation that I have about your positive viewpoint. I think the it's skewed in that there's a lot of negativity of what happens when a kid can't read by third grade, right? What you just did was what can happen when a kid can read by third grade. And I just, I want to underscore that when we can shift our perspective and say all the things, instead of working from a fear-based place of what happens if they don't, the the urgency of positivity, just so enlightening, so uplifting. And so thank you for that. With that journey, Loretta, you experienced a loss in your time as a classroom teacher. And I know that we're heading into a time where people like October is rough and we're heading into a time of year where people start questioning if they can do this, the, the depression hits, the Sunday scaries hit and you somehow overcame something so insurmountably unbelievable that I would love if you're willing to share that experience and what that's been able to do for you as an educator. Of course. Yeah. It was probably my sixth or seventh year of teaching. And the interesting part of this is all summer, Kelly, I was planning my instruction. It was my third year teaching eighth grade English. And so I was like, okay, I I know the standards like the back of my hand. I know exactly what I'm going to teach. I know what assessments I'm going to do. Um, I worked with the other eighth grade teacher and we created this awesome scope and sequence. 
And I was like, this is going to be my best year of teaching ever. And I would walk around school and tell my principal, like, this is going to be the best year. I feel so prepared. I know exactly what I'm teaching this year all the way through May. I would tell all of the other teachers, like, this is going to be my best year. And then about probably about a month into the school year, everything was going great. I had a great group of kids. My instruction was on point. But then my my late husband was diagnosed with cancer. And so that really, it was, it was so unexpected. Of course, you never expect anything like that. But it was interesting because I was so hopeful and so sure that was going to be my best year of teaching. And then it turned out that it was the year of teaching where I, I was absent for probably over 60 days that year, just trying to travel back and forth between our location and the location of the hospital and just trying to juggle that caregiving role with my teacher role. And then also I had just started my master's degree and I was about like maybe two or three weeks into my master's degree whenever he was diagnosed with cancer. And so it was a really just strenuous year of trying to balance being a good student, being a good teacher, being a good caregiver. And I had the personality where I don't like to let people down. And so it was like, oh, I still need to put, I, I don't want to let my principals down or my professors down. I don't want to let my husband down. And so it was really just being stretched very thin. And then at the beginning of the following school year, right before school started, as my husband eventually passed away from his complications with cancer. And so I had to enter that school year now doing, still doing my master's degree, but I was, I had actually agreed to do a research project with one of my professors. And so I, I was being pulled yet again in all of these directions. And I had a lot of people relying on me because part of the research was for me as the classroom teacher, I had to do the bulk of it because we were using my students for our population. And so without me being in the classroom and doing my job, the research project would just diminish and I couldn't let my research team down. And so it was very tricky maneuvering through the grief in a way where it was like, now it's time to grieve, but now it's time to get back to work and I can't let these people down. And so that was really when I first started to feel the teacher burnout, because at the end of that year, the pandemic hit, and then we went into virtual learning and it was just a really tough three years of education, but really... I didn't realize, Kelly, at the time, how much I needed to heal as a teacher. I was so focused on healing personally and in my private life. I didn't realize how much I needed to heal in the classroom because a lot of that trauma, teachers carry so much into their classroom. Being a classroom teacher is a very personal thing. You love your students, you build those relationships, you put your personality into it, your heart, your spirit. And I think what people who are not educators don't realize is how close it is to home as a teacher, when trauma hits you, it's been four years since my husband has passed away. And I didn't realize until last year 
how much I needed to heal as a teacher. I should have taken the time. And that's what really renewed me is whenever I discovered that insight. One, just Lord, I thank you so much for sharing that. And again, always so sorry for your loss and the woman you are and the strength that you just bring to all spaces and the, the effervescence that you just exude. Just thank you so much. I would love to explore the healing piece of a teacher. And so as you had that insight, what then did you do to heal? So interestingly, I started the new position as a reading interventionist. There's a place in Albuquerque because I live in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, which is very close to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I started my career in Albuquerque in this wonderful, diverse community called the South Valley. And that's where I started my teaching career. And it came full circle because then I got a new job back in the South Valley where my passion had once uh, sparked. I was able to go back home to that. It felt like I was going back home. And what happened is there was within the first one or two weeks of me starting my new role there, there was a community engagement night that I went to and everyone was there, the principals, the parents, and to see that level of community engagement in a larger school district was really amazing. But it was also just this great sense of family and a great sense of togetherness. And it just really felt like I belonged there. And I remember driving home that night, which is, it's really nice, the commute from my work to my home. It's like a 40 minute commute, which always gives me a lot of time to meditate and to reflect. And I was just like, wow, I really needed that experience tonight. It really just felt like I was going home. Like I was right where I needed to be. I was back in a culture that I loved. I was back in the culture that sparked my passion for teaching because I left that culture to go teach in Artesia, which is like bulldog nation four hours away. And so it was, that was one piece of it. There's a certain point in education where you have the expertise and experience to start finding the school that's best for you. You're not just taking a job because, oh, I need to get the experience. But now it's, I have the experience and I need to find the best fit for me. And that was really huge. And so finding a school that has a great culture is one really amazing way to heal from that trauma. That is so beautiful. I, I had a couple guests on um a couple months ago. And that was one thing that they they talk a lot about and how to overcome burnout is not just that a school is interviewing you, you're interviewing the school and you're thinking about it from the lens of your head and your heart. And so I feel like this is just such a powerful message to any person. Like you don't have to necessarily leave education. Sometimes what you need is just to change find a place that you can have that sense of belonging. And I love that. Thank you for sharing that example. So powerful. Let's shift a little bit then to that transition, which I think, and we're thinking about the timeline, that transition out of the classroom and then back in. Because I think a lot of us, to your point, we're thinking about the next thing. 
were thinking about similar to me. I, I never thought I'd leave the classroom until I burned out. And it was my seventh year. But then I go back, I'm actually doing an illustrative math training right now to be able to coach our teachers on it. And all I want to do so badly is go teach a math class. And I'm like, I, hey, head of schools, would you mind if I just take one class period and teach? Because yeah, applying what we get to learn in these professional developments in the classroom would be so amazing. I love this. All of that to say, talk to us about that journey and even the emotion behind leaving and then the emotion behind coming back. So at first I was really relieved. I was like, all right. I, and I've, I always wanted to be some sort of instructional coach. So that, uh, to be a literacy coach was even better. And so at first I was really excited. I was like, this is the dream job. I get to go around New Mexico and I get to coach all of these educators and I get to spread wisdom and and I was so excited. And I actually really did love that job. It was a great job. I loved working um, on those statewide initiatives and just being able to build those relationships across New Mexico with teachers and principals and people that I never in a million years would have crossed paths with. And so it was a lot of fun, especially being able to go on all of these paid professional development opportunities. But the interesting thing is I've already spoken to is in most of those PD opportunities, I would think, man, if I knew this a few months ago, I would have been a better teacher. Mm -hmm. How did I not know this? I didn't know this about reading or I didn't know being able to put structured literacy practices into action. So there was a part of me that was like, I need to be able to try this with students before I even go coach these other educators on it. I need to see that I'm effective with it too, before I take on that leadership role and the professional development, which I think is a great way for any educator to reignite their passion. Because anytime I've ever gone to a really good professional development, I'm just like, oh, I can't wait to go back to the classroom and try this. And a big part of it, Kelly, was at one point after my husband passed away, I did transition into a second grade job for one semester. And that was really hard because I went from eight years of middle school and randomly went into a second grade teaching position. And I was like, "Woo!" I felt like a beginner teacher. Mm -hmm. And there was a student who was really struggling with reading at the time. And uh, she didn't know her letters. She had no concept of alphabetic knowledge. And, and it, with second grade, that's really concerning. But I was so overwhelmed in that new role as a second grade teacher, that I had no idea how to meet her needs. And I eventually transitioned out of that role into reading intervention. But whenever I left the classroom and I started doing all those PDs, I always thought about that student. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, I did such a disservice to that particular student. If I had known what I know now then, I could have tried my best to get her on grade level before third grade. 
And one of the things that I do now that I'm back in the classroom is I always think about that particular student and she's my motivation. I wasn't able to meet her needs because I had no idea what I was doing, but now I know better. I know what I'm doing better and I'm able to apply it to my current set of students and I'm able to see that growth and that achievement. And there's still this part of me that always feels guilty because I'm like, oh man, I just, I left that poor girl in the middle of her second grade year, but she's my motivation now. Never again am I going to let a second grade student not know their alphabet while they're under my care. That was a huge part when I finally entered the classroom with my new level of expertise. It really motivated me because having that student at the back of my mind is a big motivating factor of what I do. So Yeah, I don't want to ever let a student down like that again. (laughs) Oh, it just speaks to your sense of responsibility as an educator, which is so powerful. And I love the idea of not letting the mistakes of our past or dwelling on them, but rather letting them be a source of our inspiration and motivation. So that's really powerful. Let's talk about reading. I think I'm about to do my science of reading certification, all of that fun stuff. I know it's huge right now. And I would love to just hear your approach to literacy and advice you have for teachers just in some of your favorite things coming out of it, your opinions on science of reading, knowing that we have a literacy specialist, somebody who is so passionate and so knowledgeable about literacy to be on here and talk to us about literacy. I think first and foremost, any educator who has not been trained yet on the science of reading to find some sort of an accreditation development or uh, training that they could attend because it really is a transformational component of your career. I think that uh, we in New Mexico, we do letters training. And so that is language essentials for teachers of reading and spelling. And it's required. It's a state mandate that all kindergarten through fifth grade educators, they have to do this training. And it's very intensive. It takes about two years. You have online coursework that you have to do, and then you attend virtual sessions And it's a very intense process, but if you take it seriously, it's actually very eye-opening because it talks a lot about how as educators, we could literally rewire a student's brain to learn how to read just by doing what the research and the evidence says. And so something that I took away was actually at a literacy convening that I attended last summer. And her name is Jody Dotson. And she, if you've ever seen like the, it's called 50 Nifty. And it's a book that has all of these phonological awareness activities in it and how to make phonological awareness multisensory. And so she led at that convening this really cool seminar about the parts of our brain and what they're doing whenever a child is learning how to read. And she was talking about how we need to just build almost like a path in between these parts of the brain 
And she was talking about how we can do that in a way where it's almost like branding a kid. It's ingraining it into their head. And she talks about it with the level of intensity. Like we need to very intensely be teaching children reading. And so something that I do in my classroom And this took a lot of reflection because one day I was making that 40 minute commute home from work. And I was like, man, my instruction is not intense enough. I'm not rewiring the kids' brains. And so I thought, how can I really make this intense? And part of that is, for example, using a decodable reader that's focusing on a specific phonic skill. So maybe like CVC words that are focusing on the short A sound. Within a given day, I might start off by having the students just read a list of CVC words where they're decoding. Maybe they're tapping it out and then blending it. For our listeners who don't know CVC, it's like a word like cat or cat, right? Consonant, yep. vowel, consonant. Yes, yeah. Like <laughs> cat, rat, pit, things like that. Yeah. I have to remember that not everyone knows that lingo. That <laughs> we have math lingo. teachers who listen to this just in case. My mom. <laughs> hi, mom. If you want to say hi to Melda, you can. <laughs> yeah. If you were talking about math stuff right now, I'd be totally lost. Yeah. There's a reason I only teach literacy, but. Well, sounds um, like you know a lot. So keep going. You're, you were talking about tapping it out. Mm -hmm. I think that was the word you used. And so really just building up to them reading it in context, but it's really just providing those right scaffolds. Like maybe day one, they highlight all of the CVC words in the decodable reader and they just read it in isolation. And then day two, they highlight the words again, but now they're reading it in the story without the isolation. So now it's the entire story with all of the sight words. And then like day three, they just read the story without highlighting. And then in doing so within a three day period, they're reading those CVC words anywhere between a hundred to 200 times, which is then creating that intensity to rewire their brain. And so just trying to do things in a systematic way that just really ingrains it in them was the biggest takeaway that I took away from my letters training. So just being able to create a cumulative, systematic, multi-sensory approach to reading to be able to create a diagnostic because everything we do should be based on data and being able to see where the kids are at, where I want to see them headed in reading. And so, yeah, that's where I'm at with my letters training is figuring out how to make it intense. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, we talk about that all the time, like muscle memory. And I know that reading is not the only thing that kiddos are getting at school, but the imprinting, the branding is a really interesting metaphor to think about. And I, as I'm thinking about how this accumulative systematic approach to reading the intensity, so much of that, though, came from your own reflection and your ability to give yourself time and space to say, what do my kids really need? You have a 40 minute commute. Not all teachers have that. So what advice would you have for teachers who 
don't necessarily have time or even, I'm trying to think, I, I don't want to say agency, but time, but need to in, incorporate and or build that reflective practice like you have, like you're giving yourself time and space. This came from, yes, letters training, but so much of that came from Loretta and your desire to never have another experience like you did with that young second grade student. So what advice do you have? So I would first say that I want to make sure that listeners know one of the reasons I try to reflect on my way home is because when I get home, I try really hard not to take my work with me because I learned a long time ago that just accelerates burnout. And so, and it's really hard as a teacher to do that because there are days like I'll be on Instagram and a reel will pop up that shows somebody doing something in their classroom. And I'm like, oh, I need to do that. But then I'm like, no, I'm not going to watch that because I need to be present at home and focus on family. And so I will say that if they don't have a commute where they're able to really reflect on work and then get home and just leave work at work, I think one of the best ways to reflect is in your prep period. I think a lot of teachers will get sucked into feeling guilty if they're not actively doing something in their prep period. Oh, I need to be lesson planning. I need to be grading. I need to be making copies or sometimes I will literally just sit there my entire prep period and just be thinking of man, that lesson did not go well today. What happened? Where did it get derailed? What should I do better tomorrow? And, and an example of this is I have a student that I'm working with. Uh, this will be my second year working with her. And she still cannot tell me her letter sounds and the letter names. And I was like, why can't I get her to remember? I've tried all of these multi-sensory approaches and so I started to think maybe it's like her working memory because I noticed that I could give her five letters and by the time we get to the fifth letter, uh, and this is within a 20 minute span, she's already forgotten the first letter that I've given her. So I'm thinking, okay, there's something going on with her working memory. So you know what, today all I'm gonna do is in my prep period, I'm gonna research how can I enhance a student's working memory and in doing so, I discovered with those students do the same thing every day that allows them to focus on the content and not on the routine. It frees up their brain. And I was like, okay, I can do that. I'll just do the same exact thing with her every day for 20 minutes. She'll know exactly what we're doing when we come to class. We'll follow the routine. That'll free up her brain to focus on the sounds and the letters. And then just being able to take that time in your classroom and not feel guilty of not doing everything else that we need to do, that has been really helpful for me too, is just being like, you know what, today I'm just going to sit here and I need to reflect on what's happening because obviously I'm not meeting that student's needs and I need to get this taken care of. And so if that means that I didn't get my lesson plans done today, 
Um, and it's just me thinking about what needs to happen, then so be it. Cause eventually all that other stuff will get done. We always get it done eventually. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I would say just utilize your prep period and don't feel guilty when you're just sitting there reflecting. Uh, yes. I, I had another guest on, she's from New Zealand and the words that they use for prep or planning period is non-contact hours. And so by them using that phrase non-contact, it means I am just not working with a student right now. I can use this however I want. And that shift in mindset helps them think about, okay, yes, I do want to go and grab a Starbucks right now because the planning in and of itself is going to get in the way of the reflection that I need to be doing. Loretta, this has been so fun. And I, I, just am so excited and I, I want us to stay more in touch because I know I have so much to learn from you. And with that, what advice do you have for educators to have a renewed sense of hope in the context of education, knowing that we're all over the place? I feel we're getting back there, watching my teachers this year in comparison to the last three, but yeah, what do you want to say to educators right now so that they have a sense of renewed hope in the world of education? Interestingly, just this week, my childhood best friend, her sister became a teacher. She's a first year teacher. She's doing kindergarten, which takes a great person to do kindergarten because that is a very hard age. And she was telling me, she was like, Loretta, man, I just can't do this. I feel like quitting. I don't think I have what it takes to be a teacher. And so I was telling her, have some grace. This is your first year teaching. You didn't go through a teacher prep program. You're doing an alternative license. So you didn't get to do education courses that teach you about instruction and curriculum. And you didn't get to learn from a mentor teacher about classroom management, give yourself some grace. And really, it could be a multitude of things. Maybe kindergarten is just doesn't fit with your personality. Uh, sometimes we have to find that grade level that meshes with who we are. Because I know, for me, teaching kindergarten, I work with them in small groups, but if I were to work with them every day, I don't think I'd be able to handle it. I just don't have that personality. I have that middle school teacher personality. But if I'm going to work with one grade level all day, I'm going to want to do that at the middle school level. And so being able to know what your personality is, and even with that, I'm a very introverted person. So a lot of my teacher burnout comes from me getting my energy from being alone. And it's very difficult for teachers who are introverted to bring that level of excitement and energy and having that social aspect of teaching and being on point all day. It can be really exhausting. And so I would say recognize where you get your energy from because there are days like we were talking about with my prep period, sometimes I just have to go out to the playground and walk laps and I just have to have that quiet and I have to have those moments where I'm not talking because it really takes it out of you as a teacher, the amount of talking you do with your students and engagement. And so really just knowing your own needs 
and being able to take care of yourself. It's not a selfish thing to do. And I will also say sometimes you just need a year out of the classroom, still in education, maybe doing an instructional coaching role, maybe going up to the district level to do something with curriculum and instruction. Even over summer in New Mexico, they do a lot of curriculum review. And that to me, it's, oh, this is a totally different role than teaching. I'm reviewing curriculum. And so just doing things that are outside of the classroom really helps you reignite that passion. And so that would be, I think, my best advice is just knowing yourself, knowing what you need. If you need to take that time outside of the classroom, that might be just what you need to realize how much you love teaching. Because I know when I left for the public education department, I was like, oh, man, it's September. Why am I not setting up my classroom right now? That phrase, distance makes the heart grow fonder. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. Oh, that is such great advice. I'm so appreciative of you. Thank you, Loretta, for being on, giving a part of your day to this community and we are so lucky to have you as an educator is there anything else that we did not cover that you would like to say to this community i think just staying in education at this pivotal time in our era is very important we have so many teacher shortages right now and there's such a feeling of apathy when we think about education But just being able to maneuver through those ups and downs, and there's such an ebb and flow with teaching. There's always going to be good days and there's always going to be bad days. And just knowing that teachers, at least within the profession, we really appreciate, I appreciate all of the educators out there and especially those ones that have been in it for 40 years, it just blows my mind. I'm like, man, I'm only in year 11 and I can't imagine 30 more years. But, and so I just want to encourage educators to stay the course and take care of themselves and to do what they feel is best for them. Loretta, thank you so much. So grateful for having you on. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate it. I just say how fortunate I feel to be related to you, Loretta. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing so vulnerably your story. And here are the takeaways for today's episode. Number one, let teachers talk about education, or at least if you are an educator, surround yourself with people who will talk education with you. Number two, Sometimes it is okay to take a break. Invest in yourself. Allow yourself time out of the classroom, but stay in education. Number three, if you need to heal as a teacher, do so. And if you still want to teach, but you are in a healing process, then find a school that is a good fit for you. Number four, professional development is a great way to reignite your passion. So go get to learning. Number five, Don't dwell on the students you didn't reach. Let them be a source of motivation. Number six, don't feel guilty on how you use your prep. Sometimes what you need is to just be still. That is okay. Number seven, give yourself time to reflect. Reflection leads to growth and insight. If we don't give ourselves this time, this 
is what leads to burnout. Number eight, if you are an introvert, be sure to recognize where you get your energy from and honor this. Know your own needs and also know taking care of yourself is not selfish. And number nine, stay the course and be willing to maneuver through the ups and downs. Wow, another episode in the books. Thank you so much for joining me today and every week on the podcast. So what are you taking away from today's episode? Let me know by heading to Instagram and either commenting on this episode's IG picture or DM me and tell me you listened to the episode and share a little nugget you received. If you liked this episode and know someone who is on a journey to becoming a better teacher and educator, share this with them. And it might just be the one thing they needed to hear today or share this episode in your stories and tag me. All right, my friend, I will be back next week with another episode for more of what's possible in education.